This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Casper, a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience, one night at a time. Get $50 off select mattresses by visiting casper.com full and using promo code full at checkout. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Thursday, September 13th, and we're discussing the frac sand industry. I'm your host, Nick Seipel, and I'm joined by Fool.com contributor Jason Hall via Skype. How you doing, Jason? I am wonderful. I'm doing great. I'm really looking forward to uh, doing lots and lots of uh, industry-focused podcasts with you, even though, even though you are a University of Alabama graduate. Yeah, okay. I mean... <laughs> Everybody doesn't know, uh, Jason is a graduate uh, from the University of Georgia, so there's a little bit of a grudge going back uh, to January when uh, my Alabama Crimson Tide uh, had a nice uh, performance in the national championship game, which was, uh, I'm sure, disappointing to Jason. No, 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 no. They had, they had a good second half. Let's be clear, they had a good second half. That's right, that's right. And you're ready for college football this week, and I was talking to you earlier today. Going to have an early morning here uh, out there on the West Coast uh, for the game on Saturday. Yeah, it's for people that um, haven't, haven't heard me on the show or follow my writing, um, I live in Southern California now, and, and that can make for some tough Saturday college football. Um, with the storm coming in, they just moved up the, uh, the, the Georgia kickoff to noon Eastern time, so that's 9 a.m. for me. And on Saturdays, 9 a.m. Um, gets here a little little sooner than sooner than I want it to, but I'll be okay. I'll be okay. I've got a, I've got a 19 month old. He'll have me up early. We'll go to do his swim class, and then it's uh and then it's time to watch the game. Hey, you got an appointment with the couch. Um, there you go. That's right. All right, Jason. Well, well, before we dive into some companies operating in the frac sand space, let's talk about a little bit about what frac sand is and what role it plays in the fracking process. Can you talk about a little a little bit about that for our listeners? Yeah, I think a good place to start is why it even exists. So the short version is shale. People that follow the oil and gas industry hear the word shale, and you talk about shale plays like the Permian, and before that the Bakken, and the Eagleford play. So you've got all these these shale plays that all this oil and natural gas that's trapped in really hard rock formations. Here's the thing: the industry has known about these formations since the 50s. So they've they've known for literally decades that that you know that this huge amount of oil uh, especially and, and natural gas um, too is has been there but there hasn't been any way until you know really over the past decade to really efficiently get it out um, and that's where hydraulic fracturing comes into play where you know high pressure water and other fluids to crack the rock but that's only part of it because you have to keep the rock open to actually extract the oil and the gas and this is where frac sand Kind of comes into play, and um, I know you've you've done a ton of research into uh, uh, looking at looking at frac sand and and what the uh, kind of kind of what's necessary. You want to talk a little bit about like some of the characteristics that are important? Yeah, sure. So so like you said, you know, frac sand is pumped into rocks, uh, cracks open um, uh, the the shale the shale rock and holds it open. So it's really important uh, when you're looking at a frac sand. Is it needs to be able uh, to withstand very very high pressures without breaking because you want to keep that crack in the rock open. So what's really important is it needs to be very durable. Uh, you want it to be similar uh, a size, very consistent size across all the supply of sand, um, so you can get a consistent result uh, for when they pump uh, that that sand in. So you know typically uh, the the sand traditionally has been sort has been northern white sand, which is sourced out of Wisconsin, um, which is highly quartz quartz rich. 
very consistent in size, very resistant uh, uh, to pressure. So it really gets into those uh, those those fractured uh, cracks in the rock and, and stays in there. Um, the issue that that has been an issue over the long term uh, with using this frac sand is it's all based out of Wisconsin, and as we'll discuss later on, the largest shale play in the country today, and what will continue to be so. Uh, looking into the future is the Permian, and that's out in West Texas. So, when you're when you're, it's a really high quality sand, but it, it's in Wisconsin. So there's going to be a significant uh, expense in bringing it out um, down to the Southwest. And so there's been a little bit of a transition uh, recently into sourcing sand. Uh, there's still some being sourced out of Wisconsin and transported down there, but there's been more of a push uh, to uh, using regional sand. So it's known as regional brown sand, which is actually based out of the Permian. And so the big advantage of that is. It's based in the Permian, uh, so so your logistical expense is significantly lower. But it isn't quite as ideal uh, uh, for uh, fracking sand use. It's not quite as crush resistant, not quite as consistent in size. Um, but it's a huge savings for uh, for producers, in that they don't have to ship it all the way across the country. So long term, we're going to see what the result is of switching to that sand, how it's going to result in outputs um, from these from these uh, shale wells over the long term. But that's the big trend now uh, coming out of the Permian. So, uh, another thing that's important to think about when you're talking about frac sand is it's a commodity market, just like oil or gold or any other you know thing you pull out of the ground and sell. Frac sand is a commodity market. So, Jason, you want to talk a little bit about you know kind of how that market has broken down over time, how that supply and demand balance ha- has played out. Yeah, I actually, um, you know, in the days leading up to the show, we were kind of doing doing a little bit of prep work. One of the things that I that I did um, is just kind of took a, a long-term look, and, you know, not super long-term, but if you go back to around 20, late 2012, um, that's when the, there was kind of the first iteration of a producer price index for hydraulic fracturing sands. And I took that and I overlaid the producer, which basically shows, you know, what the cost is starting at a baseline of 100, and then over time, how the, that price you know changes, the producer price changes, and I overlaid that with uh, WTI crude, which is West Texas Intermediate Crude. Um, it's the biggest. It's kind of the, the main benchmark for North American crude. There are other regional benchmarks, but this is kind of the big one that you hear about when it comes to North American crude oil. And I overlaid those two things, and. I guess the best way to describe it is that you know the price of oil has kind of been a leading indicator of what's going to happen with frac sand prices. And in general, that's because you know if you think about what happened with oil prices in 2014, you know you're pushing triple digits uh, consistently, and then mid 2014 prices just started falling sharply, and then bottoming in 2016, and you know in the in the you know the mid high 20s for uh, West Texas crude. Um, Within within weeks, you started seeing sand prices fall because drillers were backing down on on their production, and they were also so so that increases competition between the suppliers, right? So that drives down the price for sand, and then you also have this this issue with oversupply, right? So there's this massive oversupply. So you know you have all the suppliers further fighting for whatever business they can get for whatever revenue they can generate. Um, and then as oil prices started to kind of level and then have started to, to come back up really since, you know, late 2016, early 2017, sand prices have started to, they've started to really recover. And, and what that ties to is the Permian. I mean, that's, it's, you're going to hear us talk a lot about the Permian because that's when 
you know, tremendous amount of drilling started happening in that region. Um, as costs came down, um, the oil producers have really, really done a good job of driving down their, um, their development costs for shale. And it's, it's become on a cash basis really competitive. So there's a lot of demand for sand. And it's, it's, it's looking like that demand is going to continue to, uh, to be pretty good. But at the end of the day, um, as a supplier to, the, to, you know, to, to these uh, you know, oil producers, um, the commodity price of oil is going to have a big impact on, on the sand prices that, uh, that any of the sand producers can command. Right, exactly. Because when you, when you look at these at these uh, drilling locations in, in West Texas, I mean, if the oil price gets down low enough where they're below break even, you know, they can idle those wells and really kind of wait for uh, the market to bounce back. I think I think another uh, important thing to think about, um, you know, going back from 2014 to today, is that the volume of sand use has really risen. That so uh, as they've been, there's been more of a push into horizontal fracturing and really pushing out the length of these wells. Um, mm-hmm. The usage of sand has really skyrocketed, and, and it's because the more sand you use, uh, there's a direct relationship between how much sand is used uh, in the in the fracturing process and how productive a well is. So it's it, right. there's really a, a big return on investment. And you know there was a report came out from IHS Market uh, at the end of June that said you know 2014 what was the previous peak um, uh, for frac sand use, as you talked about the very high oil prices and that sort of thing. Um, as of June 2018, profit demand, which profit is this is what fraxine is. It props open the, the, the cracks in the shale. Um, it's 42% higher than it was at the peak in 2014, and it's continuing to grow. Uh, so, you know, you're, you're seeing oil prices bounce back a little bit, so that's going to add a little bit of demand uh, to fraxine. And then you look at just the procedures that these producers are using um, is more geared towards using a higher volume of sand to, to get a, a greater volume of oil. Um, again, you mentioned that the Permian is a significant uh, source of demand for frac sand. That's about 37% of the demand uh, in the United States. So, this really is the big story when you're talking to the oil industry in general, but particularly the fracturing industry, which is where the, where the sand operates. And, you know, through 2020, IHS market, again, is expecting a 12 to 13% cumulative growth rate. So, we're, we're expecting to see demand continue to grow. Um, of course, that is going to depend on what global commodity prices are for oil. Um, but this, this is something that it, it's not going away anytime soon. Um, yeah. Another thing that's impacting this, let's go back to the Permian a little bit, is and may impact the oil and sand prices over the long term, is kind of the infrastructure present in the Permian. Can you talk a little bit about how that is affecting you know, uh, oil production and just uh, decisions that are being made by drillers there and how that may impact uh, these sand producers and the sand industry? Yeah, the, the Permian um, is actually a, a pretty old oil play. That region, that part of Texas, uh, they've been producing oil there for you know decades, you know, pretty close to a century actually. It's it's it's, but most of the prior production obviously was from traditional vertical wells, you know, aiming at you know traditional regular oil reservoirs. Uh, but the point is that there has been a lot of um, pipeline capacity in that region for a long time. Um, you compare that to other places where we've seen um, shale, you know explode over the past, you know, 10 years or so, like the Bakken, um, uh, think about Pennsylvania, those are places where there hasn't really ever been infrastructure. Um, So, so far, you know, the Permian has actually had a relatively easy time getting the oil out relatively cheaply because there are pipelines there and there's been capacity. Uh, But that's coming to an end. I, I mean, it's really coming to an end. There's a, you know, a lot of the 
the pipeline companies are, are, you know, they're building infrastructure right now, but, you know, really over the next 20 months, um, the, the, this region is going to be stretched to its limit to really add any more additional uh, takeoff of, 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 of volume. It's just, it's maxed. It's just about, just about at the max right now. So, so the concern uh, for a lot of oil field supply companies, um, and definitely if you're, if you're following any of the, uh, any of the uh, Permian producers, any of the independent producers that, you know, that this is kind of their, their bread and butter, uh, the ability to grow production is, is probably going to be relatively limited in that, in that region. Um, and for the suppliers, um, if, if there's not going to be this continued accelerated development of, of, of uh, new, new oil wells, it's going to potentially limit some of the opportunity. And suppliers, when there's, when there's a lull in demand, when, when things kind of slow down, it's the suppliers that tend to get hit the fastest and get, tend to get hit the hardest. So I think, I think there's some concern you know, over the next 18 to 20 months um, that suppliers, and this includes the frac sand guys, uh, could feel a little bit of a pinch. Uh, but I think there's a caveat there that, that you have to consider too. One of the things that makes um, these these shale plays very different, and then historically has made them really expensive, and they've gotten better about bringing the cost down, is something called the decline curve. And the decline curve is is you start your oil production or your natural gas production at X, and over time the production goes down. And these traditional wells lose a few percent a year, but these um, these fracked wells in the in the shale plays lose a substantial amount of output in the first year or so um, and then they find more of a natural decline curve that's still you know a little bit a little bit more steep so what that means is that simply to maintain a certain level of production requires a much higher level of drilling activity than traditional oil and gas output so what that means is that for the frac sand guys there's still going to be a certain amount of built-in demand simply to maintain to maintain output. So that's a, that's a, that's a positive thing, even during weaker demand periods. Right. And this is a story that, like you said, is going to play out over the next 18 months. And I think, you know, this has really given us a good picture of the industry and coming up on the show in the second half, we're going to talk about a couple companies that operate uh, in the frac sand space and kind of where they sit and what are, what are the, the dynamics that are changing in the industry. But, but first, a message from our sponsor. This episode of Motley Fool is brought to you by Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. Casper's mattresses are designed, are designed by humans for humans. The original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Casper's breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulate your body temperature throughout the night. And they're not just a mattress company. Casper offers a wide array of products to ensure an overall better sleep experience. All Casper's mattresses are, are made in the United States. Buying a Casper online is easy. You order it online, it's delivered to your door in a compact box, and it has free shipping and free returns to the U.S. and Canada. And there's no reason not to try. It, you get a risk-free 100-day trial whenever you purchase your Casper. Considering we spend one-third of our lives on a mattress, it's important to truly sleep on the mattress before making a commitment. That's why Casper gives you 100 nights to try it out. I've got coworkers here at The Motley Fool who have bought Casper mattresses and love them. One of our listeners in Los Angeles bought a Casper for his mom using the full discount, and he's really had a great experience with the product. So if you're in the market for a mattress, take a look at Casper. You'll get $50 off uh, select mattresses by visiting casper.com fool and using promo code fool at checkout. Terms and conditions may apply, and that's $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com fool and using promo code fool at checkout. Okay, Jason, now that we've laid out what Fraxian does, let's talk a little bit about the companies operating in the space. 
And first, like you mentioned, you know, that these companies don't necessarily trade one for one with the oil market. So we look back over the past two years, we've got oil up about 35%. But the two stocks we're talking about today haven't really come along for the ride with that. Over that period, High Crush Limited Partners has fallen 22%. And US Silica Holdings, which is another company we're going to talk about, has, has dropped about 51%. So I guess the question I have for you is, you know, what gives? I, I think the short version is Again, let's talk about the Permian. You know, you go back to oil prices bottoming and then really bouncing back um, in the second half of, of, of 2016. Um, that was about the same time that a lot of development activity in the Permian really started kicking off. You know, it was like the, it's, it's, it's you know, one of the biggest plays in the world, you know, a century of oil. You know, it's cheap to produce. The producers are getting consistent results from it. They're going to need a ton of sand. So the market went hard and heavy. After High Crush Limited Partnership, it's ticker HCLP, and um, uh, U.S. Silica, it's ticker SLCA, which are the two dominant. They were kind of the first movers in terms of having tons of scale. You know, there was a ton of speculation that these are going to be huge winning stocks. And um, so I think the market just got ahead of itself is, is really what's happened. Um, at the time, the companies were you know, burning a lot of cash flows. Um, they, they, they kind of had some structural issues. You know, they weren't. Again, you think about Wisconsin to, to West Texas, it's a long way, you know, 1,500 miles to move that sand. It's expensive. Um, even, even though there was growing demand, uh, at the time, the you know, uh, oil producers are still squeezing suppliers as hard as they can to, to make money, to have, you know, break-even cash costs on these, on these wells. So I think that's the short version is, is the market was speculating on great, this great opportunity, but the businesses weren't really, they weren't really producing, you know, the positive results to support it. And you had a boom, you you had a crash, right? You know, you look at, you know, early or, or you know, mid 2017, you know, stock prices really cratered. So you know, over the past year, um, you know, I think the stock prices are a lot more, you know, are a lot more in line with, you know, kind of the performance of the of the companies. Sure, yeah, and that makes total sense. Again, we're talking about suppliers in an industry, so there's a correlation, but it's not going to be a direct correlation, and there's a lot of factors that'll go into that. Um, Jason, let's go ahead and swing in and, and get real, uh, you know, deep into High Crush Limited Partnership to start out. I mean, the first thing that pops out to me looking at this company is just the valuation metrics. I mean, this is a company; uh, it's 1.1 billion dollar market cap. It's got a price to earnings below six. You know, its price to tangible book is 1.3, and it's yielding over 20 percent, one of the highest yielding stocks on the market. Uh, can you talk a little bit about you know what's going on with that yield? What investors should look out for? You know why are the why are these traditional valuation metrics so low? What's the story there? Yeah, so you know, High Crush Limited Partners is, is an interesting is an interesting story. Um, I think the first thing is we'll talk about the dividend. Uh, why why is the yield so high? What's going on there? Uh, so here's the the, the deal. So. Uh, High Crush is is a limited partnership, so this is different than your typical, you know, C corp, traditional stocks, traditional structured company. Uh, master limited partnerships don't pay uh, corporate income taxes. It's what they call a pass through entity. Um, so there's some kind of advantages in terms of it being able to generate cash flows and pass them along to investors in the form of dividends, as they call a distribution, is what it's called for MLPs. Um, but there's there there's some kind of things on the other end of it that can make it less of an attractive investment for you and me, for your retail investor. Um, so it has a general partner, 
which is essentially the controlling entity. Um, and in High Crush's um, um, case, that, that controlling entity is High Crush LLC, which is a privately held separate company um, that has several um, major investors, including some private equity groups, including the co-founder and current CEO, uh, Robert Rasmus, uh, which I think is good for investors because he has a stake, you know, and, and that helps align it. Uh, but in, in essence, what happens is when you have um, a master limited partnership and you have, you know, the the um, uh, the, the limited partner that um, or the general partner that runs things, there's something called IDR. It's uh, in, uh, incentive distribution rights. And essentially what happens is, is the distribution goes up. Um, the, the way it's IDR is structured is that the um, general partner gets a larger and larger portion of of the of the rewards, and the key is that at that seventy five, I think it's actually like seventy two and a half cents per unit distribution. It pushes it all the way up to the where it's fifty fifty, where there's there's uh, you know a outsized portion of of the proceeds kind of goes back to the to the uh, to the uh, general partner, and in short. By paying out this seventy-five cents per unit distribution for four consecutive quarters, the idea is that um, it will create a situation where those IDR IDRs are, are resets, and the company can convert to a C corp. Now, there are other aspects of that that are going to happen that you know that can affect because there'll probably be some dilution because to basically to buy out the general partner, uh, the company will have to issue shares to that'll become common units. Um, there's some potential tax consequences uh, for um, uh, investors that hold hold shares of, of, um, of a company now. Um, so it, it's kind of muddy. And the other thing too is that, you know, you're going to capture three more of those. If you bought shares today, you'd capture three more of those 75 cent per unit distributions, which works out to about 18% of today's market price. Um, but then it's almost guaranteed that the distribution is going to get cut, right? It just doesn't make sense to continue to pay it out at a high level. So the long story short is don't buy it because you're going to get a 19% yield because that's a payout over the next nine months that'll happen to get to that one year. Um, and then everything's going to get reset if management makes the decision to convert to a C-Corp. Everything's, everything's going to change, right? So... Um, so that's that's what's going on there. Uh, the, the bigger implications, um, essentially, the company's using debt to to pay that distribution right now. It um, recently issued four hundred and fifty million dollars in senior um, unsecured debt at nine and a half percent interest. Um, it, it also so that's a, I mean that's a high that's a very high rate to pay, um, even for you know it's got it's got a good credit, but it's it's considered junk. It's this is not an investment grade company. Uh, it also entered into a new revolver to replace its old credit facility. Um, so it it has you know it has debt that it's issued basically to support this high level of dividend um, to get to that point. So it's kind of a leveraged buyout almost in a way. Um, so you know, and the other thing too is that if this is a time when the company needs cash flows to really continue to, to, to grow and to be strong. And it's occurring right when the, the offtake issues in the, uh, in the Permian are starting to become a reality. So worst case scenario, 
Um, if there's any kind of global oil demand crisis, uh, and there's so many uncontrollables out there that could affect what happens in the Permian, that could affect its 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 demand for sand, that I mean, there, there's there's kind of a worst case scenario that makes me concerned because the company's taking on so much leverage to try to get to the point to change its corporate structure. In the long term, I think it's a good idea to make this change, but in the short term, as an investor, it's it's kind of it's kind of what's keeping me on the sidelines. I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, Jason, that makes a lot of sense. And if you look back at the company's history, they've had a, a similar thing happen to them in 2014, where they started raising their distribution, and then at the same time, they started making some significant capital expenditures. And you know, it just ended up being a dangerous cocktail with oil prices coming down. You're you're upping your distribution. You're you're putting in significant capex, and it really put them in a dangerous situation, um, which yeah. they have since recovered from to this point. But it's a little bit scary to see you know the way the market's playing out that this story could could happen once again. Um, it, it, it could, and you know, I think if you've got a really good tolerance for for risk, um, I, I I I could see you know you know maybe making a small investment and watching closely. But I think even, you know even if things do go kind of sideways, I think long term there's 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 really good prospects. Um, but if things don't go perfectly over the next year, I, I think I think you'll be able to get a much better value point. Um, and because things could get a little bit, a little bit scary if, if, if it doesn't go perfectly. Yeah, that's right, Jason. And, you know, and as a shareholder of High Crush myself, you know, it, it was a little bit concerning to see all the, all this stuff, uh, you know, kind of come out. I think the other interesting thing we mentioned the CapEx that really makes High Crush, you know, stand apart is that they were the first, we mentioned, you know, the in basin frac sand earlier in the first half of the show. I mean, they were really mm-hmm. the first frac sand provider, uh, to really get into the Permian and, uh, have a location physically. Uh, there, so they they have a a mine located in Kermit, Texas, which opened in July 2017. Has 150, 105, excuse me, million tons of sand. Uh, it's within 75 miles of 1,500 different permitted well sites, and you know can serve uh, 95% of all prop and consumption in that area. And that that's really been a huge advantage for them. They converted an old ATV park, believe it or not, uh, to to build that sand mine, which has had some big advantages. We'll talk a little bit later uh, with U.S. Silica has had some struggles. Uh, in the Permian, uh, building out their in-basin uh, production. Uh, the, the big advantage for, for High Crush was this place, uh, as a converted ATV park, already had you know uh, uh, utility infrastructure in place, roads to get in, all those sorts of things. That's uh, an advantage that High Crush has. They were able to smoothly bring that mine yeah. on, on, online, while as other producers in, in the area ha- have struggled with it. But it's been a huge advantage for them uh, to be the first mover and to uh, among the big suppliers to have an in-basin uh, sand mine to be able to provide that and get, kind of cut out those logistical expenses. That's also letting them repurpose their Wisconsin production to other uh, shale plays across the country. You know, we talked about uh, we talked about the Utica, we talked about the Marcellus Shale um, in Pennsylvania. You know, we, we've talked a little bit about the Bakken up in the northern part of the United States and the Dakotas. So, really being able to take advantage of that Permian presence uh, with their current mine, but then also you know, repurpose some of their other uh, uh, assets uh, to service other parts of the, of, uh, the country. Yeah, I think it's smart. I think, you know, one thing you and I uh, talked about, too, that's important to bring up is some of the, the last mile things that they're they're putting in place um, that are beneficial to producers, but they're also, in terms of helping producers lower costs, but it should lead to, to, to better margins, too, right? And I think that's, that's a big advantage, high crush, 
has and and you know maybe to a little bit lesser extent in the bo- or in the in the Permian that was coming on base um, that U.S. silica has. But you want to talk a little bit about um, what's happened there for High Crush? Yeah, yeah. So uh, their their prop spring, uh, prop stream last mile logistics platform is really their their calling card. Um, in this area, they actually made a recent acquisition. They acquired FB Industries, uh, which is another um, frac sand management uh, company. They acquired that company for sixty million dollars uh, a couple months ago. Um, so that's a, a big move for them to kind of push hard in the, from the logistics perspective. Um, they they offer two different solutions. So they have a container based solution where they they will fill up at their different distribution centers a uh, container that can be loaded onto a truck and taken. Uh, directly to the uh, the well site um, and just dropped right into the well, which is a very convenient solution for um, for uh, ENP operators in the air in the space. And then with this acquisition of FB Industries, they added a, a silo based management system, which is more of a legacy system. Um, but for other um, producers or other customers that may prefer a system like that, they're really able to supply, you know, the full gamut of what a producer may want. And really, at the end of the day, you know, logistics are the name of the game uh, in this frac sand space. It's really, can you get me a product that meets specifications? Can you get it on time? And can you get me exactly how much I need? And that's a real advantage of these big players like High Crush and U.S. Silica, in that they can really not only have the supply online, but can really manage top to bottom the logistical um, aspects of bringing the product to the well site. It's a really important thing for producers, and they're in a position to supply that in a uh, in a compelling way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, Jason. So let's talk a little bit about now uh, U.S. Silica Holdings ticker SLCA. This is another company. You look at it; it's, it's got a PE of ten. It, from a valuation perspective, you know it, it looks relatively reasonably valued. I will point out a, a difference between. U.S. Silica and High Crush is that High Crush is a pure play frac sand provider. They have one segment; it's frac sand sales. Um, right. By by contrast, U.S. Silica is a more diversified business. So, eighty percent of their revenue is oil and gas profits. That is that is their frac sand, and that's about seventy seven percent of their contribution margin, which is, uh, you know, kind of a, kind of a net income uh, or adjusted income metric. But they do get about a fifth of their revenue from industrial and specialty products, which is different types of sand. Uh, they provide sand for golf courses, beach volleyball courses, uh, for use in glass, building products, chemicals, filtration materials. Um, so that gives them a little bit of diversification. And they recently made an acquisition to kind of push in that direction even more so. You want to talk about that, Jason? Yeah. If, if you look at their balance sheet, you'll see in May that they're, the, the um, U.S. Silica's debt just exploded, right? Uh, that, that's when their uh, acquisition of EP Minerals closed. Um, that was a, it was a big acquisition that primarily is was aimed at, at you know helping to further diversify the business away from oil and gas. So I think going forward, you know, if 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 the company's uh, you know income for, uh, from oil and gas grows, it's because oil prices are up, production's up, things are hitting well. Um, but but I think if things you know over the next year, um, we're probably going to see it, it generate more income from uh, its, its other sectors. And we've I mean we've already seen that um, so far this year. Um, if, if you look at if you look at the company's um, earnings, its industry and specialty chemicals um, contribution margin uh, pretty much doubled sequentially uh, from around twenty one million dollars um, in the first quarter of the year to forty one point three million. In the second quarter, and a significant amount of that was because of the the, the EP um, acquisition. So, 
Um, so that's, I think that's, that's one of the things that I like is that it's, it gives it a little bit of strength. It can help it with the cyclicality of oil and gas. It can kind of help smooth out its, its business and its cash flows, uh, which can be really, really important. Uh, it also has around $300 million in, in cash and, and equivalents on its balance sheet. So, so it has some, some ability to kind of ride things out. It has, you know, capacity to continue to invest in capital expansion and, and improving its business. Um, and, and I really like I really like those things about about its business, even though if you look at just the straight price to earnings ratio, it's technically 40 percent more expensive um, than uh, than high crush. There's a hell of a lot less to be concerned about. Um, I, I think in terms of its liquidity is better. Um, it's investing in growth versus taking on debt to support a dividend to give it the ability to make changes in its corporate structure that. Uh, again, for the long term, I think it's good for high crush, but in the short term, it's just you know, I'm not sure about it. So, you know, if I were gonna if I were gonna buy one of these two today, uh, I would certainly uh, be more inclined to buy U.S. Silica. The business is more secure. I think there's a little more predictability. Uh, you just you know what you're getting a little bit better than 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 you do with uh, with high crush because of the uncertainty with its corporate structure right now. Right, for sure. I mean. It- you don't have those corporate uh, structure concerns. You have some other areas that, if we do see a little bit of a cyclical downturn in oil price, that they can be generating cash flow from the other parts of the business to really secure when, when uh, you know, when there is a bounce back in oil price, which will come sooner or later, um, they will be in a position to, during the downturn, make significant investments um, using their uh, their other. Cash flows and it, and they're really making a big commitment here. I mean, this EP Minerals acquisition is seven hundred fifty million dollars, which maybe doesn't sound like a lot, but for a business that is a only one point six three billion, I mean, that's you know a little less than half of your of your overall market cap. So it's a, it's a big push into this diversification um, right. for them. I I will say another thing to mention, just kind of a comparative with um uh, with High Crush is uh, U.S. Silica is also trying to bring some. Um, some production online in Basin in the Permian. Um, they've they've mentioned in their in their recent uh, earnings report uh, conference call that they've had a little bit of issue getting that online. You know, unlike the High Crush mine and Kermit, uh, they're kind of going from a greenfield situation, so they, they don't they don't have quite the infrastructure in place. Um, right. So they've had a little bit of struggle there. But you know, as as they can kind of take these cash flows and other parts of the business and invest in building these things out over the long term, they're going to be in a, in a really uh, good position. Um, another thing to think about too, we mentioned High Crush's uh, logistical operations with their PropStream uh, uh, service. High Crush, uh, I mean, uh, excuse me, U.S. Silica has a similar service uh, called Sandbox. A uh, little bit of difference, like we mentioned, that you know High Crush has both the uh, the silo-based solution and the containerized solution. Uh, the Sandbox solution is is only a containerized solution, but it, it really those are all the the big major trends in the fracking sand industry is we're we're moving more towards focusing on logistics and we're moving more towards how can we get production closer to these ENPs in the Permian. Um, that's something that both businesses are investing in and, and something that you know really is going to be a differentiator for these businesses going forward. Yeah, I think one thing too that um, U.S. Silica announced uh, earlier uh, this week that was uh, kind of unique. And I'm wondering if we might see more of these uh, Pioneer Natural Resources, which is a big, a big um, uh, oil and gas producer in, the, in that region, uh, reached an agreement with U.S. Silica uh, to basically buy a stake um, in the uh, in the it's the in U.S. Silica's La Mesa, Texas sand mine, 
uh, in exchange for a 15-year supply of, of sand. Uh, so it's almost anybody that follows the, the uh, gold mining business may have heard of a gold streamer, which these are companies that basically front money to, to gold miners that, and in exchange for a discounted price to be able to purchase gold um, over time. So I'm kind of wondering, I, I like the move because I think it, it can give them capital that they can use to invest without having to take on more debt, um, without having to dip into their, their existing uh, capital resources. Um, so I, you know, I, I kind of like this move and I'm, I'm interested to see, to see if we don't see more of these um, happen in, in the coming years as, as in, in these big plays. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, Jason. I mean, another thing to think about from that perspective, too, is that it locks up, you know, a long term contract for them that, you know, if we see a little bit of a downturn in the oil market, I mean, they still have this contract in place uh, to yep. continue supplying that customer. Right. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, Jason. So, so we've talked a lot about the fraxine industry, you know, just for investors who might be interested in this space, you know, what are the, the two or three important points, things that they should watch over the coming, you know, as you mentioned, 10 to 18 months or 18 to 20 months, excuse me, like, what are the things investors should look at? You know, if you see this happen, maybe think about stepping into the space. If you're in the space already, you see this happen, maybe you should step away. What are the important things investors should be watching? So I think the first thing to remember is that if if you are investing in either of these companies, you're you're making a a bullish bet that oil prices will remain at least high enough that development in in these big shale plays is going to continue to occur. Right? You you have to count on that. Number one. Um, if, if you're if you're not bullish for the long on, for the, over the long term for that, that's probably not a space you should necessarily consider investing in. Uh, I think you have to acknowledge that because of the nature of oil field suppliers, um, when things do get a little bit squirrely, they're the first ones to, the the investors run from. They're the first ones that kind of take a little bit of a hit. So these are going to be very volatile investments. I think what you have to have to do though is you you can't get too caught up in watching the daily movement of oil prices because that's going to kind of drive the wheel um, from a daily price movement perspective. You have to focus on the what's actually going on in the industry. If your oil goes up or down half a percent or a percent and it moves these oil stocks, figure out what's going on. Why is that happening? Think about the longer term themes. And if, if there continues to be investment in the, in the area, they're developing wells, the, resource, the, the pipelines are continuing to be developed, then the underlying theme, the, the thesis behind the companies remains strong. Uh, you also have to look at their cost advantages. Uh, as long as these uh, continue to be the big players and and key suppliers, then continue to fall. I don't think you really have to worry about small mom and pops undercutting their business because of the scale that these companies have. Um, but really, it's I mean it's it's a it's a long term bet on you know continued uh, development of, of really the these big shell plays. I mean that's really what it boils down to. Exactly, Jason. I mean if. If the Permian turns out to be, you know, uh, you know what it's been promised to be, that if it's going to make the United States the largest oil producer in the country, these uh, uh, fracking sand providers are going to be a significant part of, you know, the growth of that industry. So something for investors to watch. Um, really enjoyed talking to you today, Jason. I'm looking forward to having you on the show later on uh, this year. Me too. Sounds great. It was uh, a lot of fun. Let's do it a hundred times more. Let's do it. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks solely on what you hear. Today's show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Jason Hall, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. <laughs>